Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Morning. Welcome to Museum Life. I'm Carol Bossert. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, I am very pleased to have on the show today Jim Richardson, who is the coordinator, uh, creator of the Museum Next Conference. Uh, some of you may remember that I had Adeline Tokmakoff on the show uh, in May, giving us a wonderful description of what was going on in uh, Museum Next in Geneva this past spring. And this uh, coming up on September 25th, 26th, just in a couple of weeks, will be the first U.S.-based Museum Next conference. Uh, to be, It will be held in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Museum of Art. And uh, I know many of you are coming, and I suspect after this discussion with Jim, several more of you will take the opportunity to uh, to register for this uh, this wonderful conference. I'm going to let Jim share his uh, background and experience, as I do with all of my guests. However, I would like to point out that Jim also works with another one of our Museum Life guests, Jasper Visser, and they have created the Digital Engagement Framework, which is a wonderful, wonderful tool. Uh, Jasper spoke about it uh, on the show about a year ago, and uh, Jim may mention that as well. And so it's wonderful how, uh, how all of my guests eventually sort of connect to one another. I don't know how how well they've connected to Kevin Bacon yet, but uh, I'm sure that's, that uh, seven degrees of separation isn't too far away. So, Jim, welcome to the show today. I'm so pleased that you've taken the time to be with us. No, thank you for having me on the show. And as you say, so many of my favorite museum friends have been on the show already, so I really feel privileged to be amongst such esteemed colleagues. Well, thank you. Uh, Jim, so please share a little bit about your, your background with our listeners, and uh, if you can, highlight those experiences that have shaped your thinking about museums. Yeah, uh, I, as you can tell from my accent, uh, I'm from England, from a place in the north of England, which is probably a bit like the Rust Belt in the States, a very industrial area. And I grew up in a, a small town there where we had a paracetamol factory at one side and a razor blade factory at the other. It was the most uncreative place that you can imagine. But my father would come home from his job in an office and he would paint. And uh, at weekends, he'd take me to museums and galleries. And so that was a, a real escape for me. Um, I thought about being an artist, but ended up being a, a graphic designer. And I run a practice here in England, um, which I've run for the past 15 years, 
working with the museum sector primarily. Um, and that started off creating brands and marketing campaigns for museums. Um, but we've seen a, a big shift in the past 10 years towards digital technology. So that's now where the focus for most of my work is. Um, and the museum sector is such a, a fantastic place for sharing experiences. So about 10 years ago, I started to write a, a blog uh, influenced by people like Nina Simon and Seb Chan sharing their experiences. And on that, I would write uh, about the kinds of work that we were doing with museums, what was working, what wasn't working, and exciting things that I, I saw around the world. And that really linked me into an amazing network of museum professionals and laid the, the groundwork for a conference called Museum Next, which I now run. Very, very interesting. Uh, so are you, do you still uh, manage this blog or do you still have time to write? Uh, the, the blog is up online somewhere, but uh, mostly I put my engine to the conference now. Because, well, as I say, I was writing about um, this is something which I think is really exciting happening at the Cooper Hewitt Museum. But rather than me write about it, now I can get Seb Chan to come and speak about it and we can film it and, and share that instead, which I, I think is a better experience for everybody, really. That's very interesting. We may uh, circle back around to that that. Uh that idea about uh, the strengths and weaknesses of some of our communication, <clears throat> excuse me, media. Yeah. But let's uh, let's move forward a little bit uh, without further ado. So you talked a little bit about how the conference got started because of the blog and all of the excitement that and and new ideas that that you uh, observed perking uh, through our community. But uh, a conference is a huge undertaking. Um, what, you know, why a conference and what did you hope to accomplish? Um, I think it, it was very much to do with the time when the conference started. So um, in the past, I would imagine emerging museum professionals would be quite isolated um, you would be in a museum and you might feel there must be better ways to do this. But who do you talk to about that? And I think with the shift of, in digital media over the past 10 years, those conversations started to go online. You have people writing blogs. You have people sharing their experiences on Twitter. And so an international community, uh, which isn't limited by borders, formed and really Museum Next was a, a place to bring those people together. Um, in the past at a conference you might have had a, a few troublemakers on the side but this was a way to bring all these troublemakers, all these emerging museum professionals together in one place. Um, and so I, I was talking because of this blog I, I was invited to talk at lots of conferences around the world and I was speaking at a conference in France and thought I could do this, this is no problem. So I emailed Nina Simon, who um, I'd exchanged emails with as a fellow blogger, and said, come to the UK and we'll uh, hold an event. And so she did uh, come to the, the UK, to my hometown in Newcastle, and we ran an unconference based around her book. Um, and it was a terrible financial disaster. Uh, but it, it was just such great fun. 
that I just wanted to do it again. I, I caught the bug for it. Um, and it was a, an opportunity to meet such fantastic people, which I, I think is a, the fantastic thing about conferences. Um, so I met Jasper at the first Museum Next, and since then we've written digital strategies for museums all over the world. We've written two books together. I met a lady called Mar Dixon uh, at that very first Museum Next, and we've worked together doing Follow a Museum and Ask a Curator on Twitter. Um, and I hear all the time about people who've come to the conference and made those kind of connections which have just transformed their careers or put them in a, sent them in a totally different direction. Um, yeah, so it, it's been a, an incredible experience. Well, that does sound... Uh, that sounds very gratifying and I think you have put a uh, put your finger on something that uh, I know there are several uh, several of us have been talking about as well as the the challenges today of uh, going to to live well live conferences live performances uh, there's the cost of the airfare there's the carbon footprint of the jet fuel there's the you know just the time away and and in international tough times it uh, it it seems as if there's there is a lot to be said for not going to conferences and coming up with different ways of communicating, uh, you know, through blogs or or WebExes or or even the way we're talking today. But but I think you're making a good point that there still is something extremely important about bringing people together face to face. Yeah, I, I mean, there's the whole thing about do museums need to exist in this digital world. And that's the same thing, the real experience. Uh, with Museum Next, we will put presentations uh, online for people to watch afterwards. Um, but really, it's those conversations in the corridor, the uh, beer late at night, which ends up being where you make those connections, which you just cannot get on Twitter in the same way. Um, yeah, you've got to have that live experience as well. Yes, yes, we because uh, at the end of the day we're still human and we need that human connection. So, uh so you've been doing this conference for 7 years. Uh how has the either the conference changed or what trends have you you noticed uh over the over this time period? Yeah, I, um I think there's a few different things the the audience have grown with us in a way. So, as I said, when it started, it was the, the troublemakers, the people who were uh, interested in the participatory museum or in social media. And now it's really gratifying to see those people becoming museum directors. So at the conference, uh, which we just had in Geneva, about 10% of the people there were museum directors. The, the first conference, there was no one who was a museum director. Um, and the things which we're covering have become more and more mainstream. So uh, Nina's book was just coming out when she spoke at our first event, and now that seems to be a, a textbook for the, the whole sector. I, I don't go to any event where Nina's not mentioned. Um, and the same with digital media. It was kind of a, a fringe thing when we started the conference. We actually had sessions about how to use Twitter. Um, uh, and now it's just assumed um, at our conference last year, Coven Smith talked about 
how you shouldn't be a, a digital officer because your job is just not going to exist. Uh, digital is just part of what makes a museum work, just like electricity or water. Um, and so there's shifts in attitude as well. Um, and then for the conference, it's grown in size a lot from the, the first event having 70 delegates and our latest event in Geneva had over 600. So there, there seems to be a real appetite um, as a real community that's built around Museum Next. That uh, That's very interesting. And, of course, as I said, Alain um, Tokmakoff from uh, C&G Partners in New York was, was very kind in uh, coming on the show and sort of being Museum Life's uh, eyes and ears at Geneva uh, this past year and talking about some of the trends that he was seeing. And what struck me, um, I was... I. In preparation for this show, I went ahead, I uh, re-listened to uh, my discussion with Alain, is just the uh, the intimacy. I mean, even with 600 people, there just seemed to be a little intimacy of, of being able to uh, start the conference, seeding it with a few really good, uh, juicy ideas, and then having an opportunity over the uh, several days to gnaw on those ideas individually and with other other people. And I think that that uh, is something that I find lacking in some of the larger conferences uh, that, that I attend, and it may simply be a scale uh, scale issue, but I, it sounds to me that uh, you are on to something very unique in uh, bringing together this, this group that's talking not about the museums of the present, but really thinking about what the museum of the future uh, could be. Yeah, and the museum of the future is happening now. Uh, I, I guess that, that's part of the problem, isn't it? You have somewhere like the Cooper Hewitt, which is the museum of the future existing today, and how different that is to the the local museum here, which I might take my children to, um, and how much of that's about attitude or how much of it's about budget. Um, I had to, to write a, a letter of complaint to a local museum here saying, why am I not allowed to take a picture of my child in your museum? Uh, it just seems crazy that I'm told no no pictures, uh, and they actually changed that policy after I complained. But uh, it's changing those attitudes and making people think, do, do we really have to do that? Yes, yes. And um, as, as I've said on the show often, and, uh, cert- and many of my guests have said as well, museums are a a very distinctive uh, community, and one of our challenges is that many of us uh, go into museums because we want to preserve things forever, uh, and yeah. that means that we are very inherently, and perhaps it's just our personality, we are conservative, and conservative means uh, that we don't uh, necessarily change things quickly, and, and while that may be very, very good for conservation, it isn't necessarily... Uh, uh, making us nimble in a world that is changing so rapidly. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, uh, that the audience expectations are, are changing so fast, and if we don't keep up with them, then museums uh, will just look like they're not relevant to those people. 
Um, when I first started working on this, I, I thought that it was going to be a generational change, but it, it's not. It, it's everyone really is using these uh, these social tools. Everyone lives at the centre of their own reality. See a TV series about them; they're the centre of everything, and they expect the world to be arranged around them in uh, that way. If that makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> yes. No. 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 I. I. I think. No. I think that that's very, um, very insightful. And I. I would just say, and right before we go to uh, to break, that one of the the trends I've I've seen um, as well is that because we all live, and I, I love the way you phrase that. Sort of, you know, we're the star in our own film of uh, of life, and and we we get to video it. We get to to uh, to. Create create media that we've never been able to create before, it does isolate us. And one of the things the museum experience uh, does uh, is it forces us to get out into the world and experience something real, uh, authentic, uh, you know, real time, uh, whether it's just with our family or with ourselves or just sort of realizing that there are other people sharing the same air we breathe. And I am... I'm constantly amazed that museums don't uh, grasp or own that that value, the value that they they present to uh, to our communities as as those those centers of civil engagement. Yeah, most definitely. Well, we are. There's so much more uh, that we have to talk about with uh, Jim Richardson. We haven't even begun to talk about the uh, the conference that is coming up on September 25th, 26th in Indianapolis uh, at the Indi- uh, Indianapolis um, uh, Museum of Art. So stay tuned. And when we come back from break, more with Jim Richardson and what we can expect at the new uh, museum next conference, the first conference that is being held uh, on on this continent. So stay tuned. We will be right back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. 
Are you ready for an Anything Goes hour-long foray into politics, pop culture, and societal tribulations? Then look no further than Between the Synapse with host Mark Tobin. Each show features nationally or internationally prominent guests discussing topics that go beyond the usual daily news, sometimes even way beyond. It's a weekly fast-paced hour that you won't want to miss. Call in to join the party. Between the Synapse airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back uh, to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert, and I am here today with Jim Richardson, who is the organizer of the Museum Next Conference. It has uh, been in existence now for seven years. It is, I believe, many of us feel that it is the premier uh, museum conference. It is certainly the place to go to be thinking about uh, the future of museums, not simply uh, the, the past or even even the present. And uh, Jim has been sharing with us uh, the conference history as in Europe. But uh, now I'd like to shift gears a little bit, Jim, and talk about the upcoming conference here in the U.S. So why did you decide to do a um, a, a, a separate conference here? Yeah, uh, well, Museum Next has always grown with the community. So while I started the conference, it's most definitely bigger than me, bigger than the the team here who work on it. And uh, we were invited to come to Indianapolis by two previous delegates, uh, Scott Stulen and Sylvia Filippini-Fantoni, um, who both work at Indianapolis Museum of Art. And they said, uh, we love the conference in Europe, but of course it costs a lot to get there. Um, and while we probably get about 40 people from the United States making the trip across to Europe, um, we thought there was a real appetite uh, to, to try it out in the States. And they've really helped make that uh, possible. And uh, so the conference went to uh, Barcelona because someone invited us there, to Geneva because someone invited us there. I'm never quite sure if people understand what they're getting themselves in for because it's a, a huge amount of work on the the part of the person who's inviting us. And uh, Scott and Sylvia have done a, a huge amount of work. Scott's even DJing at the, the after party. So um, I, I think uh, it, it's going to be a fantastic uh, occasion in, in Indianapolis. Um, and the, the theme of the conference is the Inclusive Museum. So when we started to look at Indianapolis as a location, uh, the whole uh, Religious Freedom Act thing blew up and people were saying you should boycott boycott the state 
uh, art dealers with an artist saying they were going to boycott the museum. And we felt that was the, the wrong response, uh, that we need to engage. And it actually gave us a fantastic subject to cover with Museum Next. Um, so we're looking at the inclusive museum in lots of different ways. Um, we've got Nina Simon, who's coming back to, to talk about the participatory museum. So I'm really interested see how that's moved on in her thinking over the past seven years since she spoke at our first event. Uh, the, the book has been out there for a long time. She's been working in Santa Cruz and uh, how has her thinking changed? And then we are looking at uh, how museums can reach out to uh, people of color, how they can reach out to people of different sexualities, how they can reach out to different age groups, uh, and how they can reach out to people with disabilities. So lots of different groups uh, and seeing how we can make sure that museums are as inclusive as possible. Um, so I think it's a really exciting program. Um, and if people cannot uh, make the, the trip, we will be webcasting it. So if you sign up to our newsletter on museumnext.com, we'll tell you how you can watch along. Because um, just as I was writing that blog 10 years ago, we're very keen to, to share the knowledge as much as we can, uh, which is the great thing about our sector. That is uh, wonderful. Um, and will these, it won't, will the webcast be uh, simulcast or uh, will that just happen, you know, after the conference in, in the following weeks? Uh, it will be live and then we'll be releasing the films afterwards as well. That is, uh, I think that is sort of a, a, a un another unique aspect of this conference uh, so that it, uh, uh, just as I was saying before, you know, some of the, the detractors of trying to get together for conferences uh, and, and uh, you know, the cost and the carbon footprint and uh, all of those things. And this is a way of allowing us all to be sort of a global community, uh, whether or not we can leave our Office. So thank you very much for uh, for for making this all possible for us. I'd like to one thing before we go into uh, perhaps some of these other uh, topics in a little bit more detail. I'm I'm wondering if you could share with us sort of what the format. I mean, you know, are there is it like any museum conference where I'll see a bunch of panels and uh you know, there'll be little pinpoints in the front of the room and and maybe I get to ask them a question or uh how have you created a format that uh is in keeping with the museum next philosophy? Um I think that uh we are very much about uh, doing things in a participatory way so we put a call of, call for papers out to uh, ask people to get involved with the conference and even though this was the first one in the states we got over 200 proposals um, which was a bit of a, a shock that the, the European one gets over 500 uh, these days um, and the conference was meant to be one day and we had so many great papers that we extended it to two days. We have 30-minute uh, sessions. The, 
the uh, lecture theatre isn't huge. It's, it's really nice and intimate. Uh, with Indianapolis, we're expecting about 200 people, so uh, it's just a nice, comfortable size. Uh, we have unconference sessions. Uh, we've got lots of social events. Um, and then keynote from Nina. Uh, we've got Shelley Bernstein, who's doing keynote as well. Um, yeah, so... I, I guess uh, it is not radical <laughs> in terms of the format, um, but it, it should be really nice and uh, enjoyable for everybody. Well, uh, it does sound as it, with 200 people, you will get to know uh, everyone, and that uh, that will make it it special. Um, one question I had as I, w- I was looking over some of the materials about the conference, uh, you had there's something called the test test it lab. Could you share a little bit about yeah. what that is? So, test it lab is something which Indianapolis Museum of Art have put together and that is some of their prototypes for uh, interpretive elements that are going to go into their gallery and they're being very brave and inviting all of our delegates, uh, museum professionals from all over the world to to come and try those exhibits and break them probably. Um, But uh, I, I think that's really brave and it goes back to that participatory way of doing things. Um, it's fantastic to to see museums doing that, something which just wasn't happening 10 years ago. Um, so it, it should be really exciting way for people to get hands on and, and try things. That's wonderful, and uh, and it does follow uh, some of the the uh, concepts and beliefs. Say that I. I no, I discussed with uh, Jasper on the show and uh, and others about the importance of museums in sort of taking that uh, 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 curtain back about how things yeah. work. You know, we've done a pretty good job of showing, uh, inviting uh, visitors. Well, not all visitors, usually members, and usually those members who are in the high echelons of membership, inviting them behind the scenes to see how we care for collections or see how we uh, do certain things in the museum. But we still aren't very good at showing uh, how some of the things work in process, such as developing an exhibit um, interactive or even a a piece of uh, text or or even figuring out how we frame the entire exhibit and what its uh, what its core message is going to be and it sounds as if Indianapolis has been doing that and will be showing a participatory model that uh, yeah. that perhaps will catch on I hope it catches on I think it's something that we're seeing a lot more in Europe so Jasper mentioned uh, Derby uh, museum and the way that they had invited the public in. Uh, one of the uh, museums which is speaking at Indianapolis is the Science Gallery, which is based in Dublin, but they've uh, received money from Google to open branches all over the world. Um, and they work in a, a very participatory way, involving the local community in coming up with what the exhibition should be about involving them in programming the exhibition, uh, in commissioning artists, 
And uh, so Fian, who's their global head of marketing, is going to come and talk about how they uh, approach museum building. And I think it's a fantastic model. Um, I uh, had the, the privilege of attending something called Museo Mix, which happens now across Europe. And I think there's been some in Canada, but not yet the States, where for uh, two days people... Uh, prototype exhibition uh, exhibits um, and then on the third day they open it to the public and that was really exciting Every so it's open from 8am uh, through till 10pm it's building in the museum and then uh, everyone's kind of living there and building together so a fantastic uh, project and so I think that those kind of um, methodologies are becoming more and more mainstream that is fascinating, and I am glad you brought up the Darby uh, Museum. Uh, and for those uh, uh, who were not able to listen to uh, the conversation with Jasper yet, and I also know that it is on his uh, website as a wonderful uh, case study of how a community was ac- actually curated the exhibit. Uh, not just a few people, but the entire community. And I remember looking at the photographs of of uh, tables of groups of of people from all walks of life, uh, talking about their uh, their thoughts and their memories of this very important silk factory, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think they've got a, a very visionary director, and Tony Butler. Um, and doing fantastic work, but there's just so many ways that we can invite the public into institutions, not just in building exhibits, but why can we not have yoga classes in a a museum in the evening? How can we use the space beyond normal uh, working hours? Um, How can we use museums in more entrepreneurial ways? So think about holding a a farmer's market outside the front of a, a museum, um, or in the courtyard of a museum. That was something which was suggested uh, at Museum Next in Geneva as part of an entrepreneurial workshop. Um, there's just We've got these great buildings, and we can do so much with them. That's... Uh, it, as you're talking, it... I can't help but think of the, you know, it's sort of, it, it is the old phrase, what goes around comes around, this idea of using the museum as a location of, of uh, civic uh, engagement at all levels is something that uh, museum uh, professionals and mavericks such as John Cotton Dana were talking about at the, uh, the turn of the last century. Um, yeah. Making making things, uh, whether it's an exhibit of pots and pans that were made in uh, a local factory, or uh, bringing um, kids together to uh, to collect bugs in their neighborhood and then cr- curate their own show. It is. Um, I think the pendulum is swinging back, and that is, but in a in a way that is, of course, appropriate to our times. It sounds as if things uh, the projects that you're talking about also share an ability to be they're more simple and they're more flexible and they're they are more nimble it sounds as if that is also a trend that you've been seeing in uh, in the conferences and with the colleagues that you've just mentioned yeah i guess uh, starbucks doesn't need to be the third place 
we can reclaim it for museums. And the kinds of things which we're talking about don't need to cost a lot of money. In fact, some of them can earn money for the institutions um, because obviously in Europe we uh, have suffered massive cuts to museums and they continue to happen. So uh, more and more we're looking at how to do things uh, cheaply or how to make money from them. Um, I think another uh, project which will be showcased in Indianapolis, which um, the, the budget for it isn't small, but it's with historic royal palaces in London, and they wanted to uh, do exciting things with digital media, um, which is the the one thing which the British government seem willing to still give museums money for. Um, and so they put out an open call saying, come, come to us and suggest things that we should be doing. And then they picked uh, a handful of those things and gave them a small amount of money each and got them to make a prototype that could then again be tested by the public. And then two of those companies, I think, will then be given proper commissions with proper amounts of money to, to make those things happen. But it's just different ways of working in a, a more inclusive way. That is... Uh that's very interesting. Of course, uh, uh, the um, uh, Her Majesty's uh, Royal Palace is uh, uh, is headed by uh, uh, Michael Day, a dear friend of mine, and and also another Museum Life guest. So, it uh, I'm wondering if uh, because uh, the the UK and and the rest of Europe has been so hit so hard economically, perhaps uh, very very hard times do breed. Uh, creativity in in some of these outlets. Uh, yeah, uh, I think places are having to to act creatively and entrepreneurial entrepreneurially as well. If I can get my words out, um, so you've got people who are in position running a museum who have never had to think about making money before, but now they really need to be looking at the assets that they've got and how they can uh, cover the, the cost of their institution because they're not going to be handed money in the same way. Um, we don't have the, uh, the same relationship with museums that you do in the States where uh, you will get rich donors donating to museums. Um, that just doesn't tend to happen in the same way. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, we are going to take this opportunity. I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, break uh, for our second time. And when we come back more with Jim Richardson, uh, uh, perhaps just uh, some of our, our other aspects of, the, of our uh, museum philosophy and how we uh, are, how museums are sort of managing uh, this wave of technology and social media. Uh, but I don't want to break before I remind everyone that while there are 200 people coming to the Museum Next Conference in Indianapolis, I am sure there's room for 201 or 202. So uh, the registration is, is still open. And uh, it is, uh, Jim, what, uh, what is the, um, the web address if people do want more information about the conference? Yeah, sure, it's just museumnext.com. 
that is easy to remember. So uh, it does sound terribly exciting. And uh, the more people there, the, the more when good people come together at good places, good things happen. So we will be back in one moment. Uh, we have more wonderful conversation with Jim Richardson. Uh, please stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a minute. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Up Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. Uh, Thank you for staying with us. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and I'm here with Jim Richardson, who is the developer, creator of the Museum Next Conference. It has been going on for seven years in uh, Europe, going to various places uh, that where it's been invited. Uh, It is up to now 600 uh, or more participants over the last seven years, and it is coming to the United States to 
to Indianapolis, the Indianapolis Children's Museum, uh, September 25th, 26th. And as I have said, there is still room for participants. And if you cannot uh, physically participate, there will be um, simulcast of the uh, presentations. You'll probably miss uh, karaoke night and some of the other social events, but being able to participate in sort of a global museum community is a wonderful opportunity uh, that uh, Jim has provided for us. So thank you uh, very, very much. Jim, I'd like to, in our last segment here, just follow up on one of the things that, that you were talking about, you know, the importance of museums, particularly in, in Europe that have uh, perhaps more limited funding streams than, than we are. Uh, have had in the U.S. and the challenges that they face uh, to create uh, income-generating activities, but also stay true to their missions and their philosophy of uh, being participatory, um, personalized, more open, taking advantage of technology and social media. And one of the, uh, and and that has led to some amazing uh, new creative ideas, uh, entrepreneurial ideas, um, risk-taking, if you will. And one of the the differences I'm feeling between what we've just been discussing and some of the ways that uh, some museums here in the States have been working, which is uh, you know, when, when tough times happen, risk takes a back seat. And, you know, everyone's uh, sort of chasing the new next shiny thing, you know, whether it's yeah. uh, let's have a Twitter blog or let's do this or let's do that. And so how, how do you think museum leaders can resist this, you know, sort of, as we say, chasing the new latest shiny thing and find their own path? Yeah, um, it's a big question. So, um in terms of the the next shiny big thing, I've got a, a real B in my bonnet around museum apps. Uh, I think most museums shouldn't have apps um, at Museum Next. Last year, Coven Smith, I think it was, asked how many people had museum apps on their phones. And this is to a room full of museum geeks, and most people didn't. And you think if a, a room full of museum professionals don't want to have museum apps on their phones, then how compelling are the uh, apps that we're creating? So especially in Europe, where the, the budgets uh, that most people have have been heavily cut, and we're talking about 40% cuts already, and then the existing the budget that's left is then facing a, a cut of another 40%, so huge cuts. They shouldn't be thinking about apps. Um, I think it was Neil Stimler who was on your show um, a couple of months back, and yeah. he he was talking about opportunities that digital present to smaller institutions. And I really agree. I think um, that just something like having a, a mobile phone which can capture video, um, some because it can capture film uh, sound so well with being a phone, um, you can capture great films. And some of the the films that we've seen coming out of Museum Next, where people are interviewing the speakers, people have just shot them with their phones and then put them on YouTube and shared them. Uh, so technology offers lots of low-cost ways for museums to create 
exciting content. Um, and then there's things like using MailChimp to uh, to email uh, your uh, possible audience, build, building up a, a mailing list. Uh, I think has been shown to be uh, a, a really powerful way to to market a museum. When you speak to the guys from Tate, you know. It, Social media does drive traffic to their website, but they send out an email and they can see a big spike. Um, but email is not that exciting, so people don't tend to go to a conference and talk about how sending out an email blast has been really good. And it, again, that's something which any museum, even a small museum, can uh, set up and benefit from. Um, I think using social media, just being realistic about how much that's going to drive audiences um, and maybe using it instead to look at niche groups that you can reach out to. Uh, this is where the, the digital engagement framework is really useful. So with that, we map out this is your assets as an institution, this is your audiences, and then in a, a workshop that Jasper and I would uh, run, we'd then ask people to connect those different audiences with assets. So uh, Jasper mentioned Brussels. I remember the workshop that we ran in Brussels too, but for me, there was an idea that people came up with about grandparents, having a grandparents' day in the museum where uh, we would reach out to grandparents and the, the people in the workshop actually suggested they would write to people through the post for that. They wouldn't do it through social media. Um, and this is a digital engagement workshop, but they would reach out to people through the post, then they would get them to bring their grandchildren to the museum, and then together they would go around taking pictures, filming, and then they would share that with the parents. So that was the, the digital bit and the, the bit which would then draw the parents in. Um, so I, I think it's just been creative and uh, avoiding the, the big shiny tools um, which I think increasingly people don't have the budgets for. Yes, what I love about uh, the uh, uh, the digital engagement work, uh, framework uh, that you and Jasper have come up with, and and uh, and others you've mentioned, Coven Smith and you know Neil Stimler, and and people who are deeply rooted in uh, sort of the digital age, and and certainly know more about the technology than I could ever imagine. Um, my knowing is that they always start with the audience. They don't start with the technology and I think that if I've learned anything over the last uh, year year and a half of doing these shows and interviewing all of you it is that take home message and that so oftentimes some uh, you know it's the it's the museum app uh, I think you said it so well it's the museum app sort of problem is we need a museum app well why <laughs> Yeah. Instead of looking at, you know, we would like to uh, reach out to grandparents because they're they're an important audience in our community. And then how do we do that? And it, as you say, in a certain uh, uh, way, it didn't have a digital solution. It had a, an appropriate solution. Yeah. And I think that is something which, uh, to a certain extent, museum conferences like Museum Next have a little bit of blame to, to take because we have the person on stage 
uh, like Shelley Bernstein talking about this fantastic new app that they've created and what they're doing is actually good but it gives people the impression that if you want to make a big splash in the museum world you need to come up with some kind of crazy app when yeah I don't think that's the case they've gone through a completely different process to come to that conclusion Um, and Shelley's just very good at what she does well, you know, I'm wondering, too, if, uh, and I, I'd like your opinion on this, um, when you started uh, Museum Next seven years ago, and frankly, even when you hosted Geneva just a few months ago, uh, there was, you know, the new Apple Watch had just come out, we were all sort of looking for the new um, new operating systems for things, and we're looking for that iPhone 6 with its, its, uh, its new spiffy little camera. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, though, if we haven't maybe gotten to the other side of that technology curve. Not that there won't always be some of us who are early adopters just because we love technology. Uh, but, but, but perhaps the the shine is off the new shiny thing, uh, because things uh, we've become. You know, social media is not so new. Uh, the platforms may change. We, we may be migrating away from Facebook and onto Instagram and Google Plus and some other things I don't even know about. Uh, but maybe we've become quickly uh, a little more sophisticated about uh, the use of technology. Would would you have you seen any indication of that? You know, beyond your your sort of your core knowledge uh, creators. Um, one of the, the big things in Geneva which was being advertised to museums was virtual reality. So I think that is a, a potential new shiny app area. But then the costs of it are, are so great that maybe it will, will scare people off. Um, but it's really hard to know. I think people always like shiny new toys. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the, the speakers... Uh, Eric Schilp, who did the, a workshop about entrepreneurship, uh, said, to, said to me, people are too interested in shiny apps when they should be thinking about how they can be uh, entrepreneurial and making sure that their museums still exist in 12 months' time. And I think he's got a, a real point there. Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, we just have about a minute and a half to close. Can you quickly give us any uh, peek at what the museum next conference uh, next year will be? Yeah, sure. So uh, next year we'll be in Dublin, uh, which is very convenient for people from the States as well as from Europe. Um, And Dublin is just a fantastic city. We're working with the Science Gallery there, who I've mentioned, uh, a fantastic institution. Uh, We've got a venue in the center of the city, uh, a party at the Guinness factory. Um, It's going to be an amazing few days, and we're limiting it to 650 people because we're feeling that to keep the community, to allow everyone to speak to each other, we don't want to grow the conference uh, much further than it's been. Uh, so uh, we'll have a call for papers out in the next month, and we hope that anyone who's got good ideas will come and share them. Fabulous. And then what are the dates of the uh, conference in Dublin so we can all uh, put it on our calendars? Yeah, sure. In Dublin, it's the 18th, 19th, and 20th of April. 
Fabulous. Wonderful. And uh, that does not conflict with AAM this year since AAM is much <laughs> later in May. So it's perfect Brilliant. timing. And Dublin is a wonderful place to, to go. Well, Jim, this has been a wonderful opportunity to get to know you. I'm glad uh, that you were able to share the conference uh, with, the, with uh, my listeners. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at the next conference. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, thank you so much, Carol. It's been great. Wonderful. And we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Uh, until then, uh, have a wonderful Labor Day holiday for those of you in the States. And uh, I look forward to hearing from all of you about uh, the show and uh, speakers that you would like to uh, hear. And So until next week, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.